Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA here today, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along with us here on the program once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel is a diesel that doesn't mess around. Coming up here on today's program, we are going to talk during this uh, fire prevention week. We're going to talk about some of the fire dangers that are around the farm and ranch. We'll talk with uh, Nationwide about that. It's going to be a, a great discussion coming up here in segment four today. We're going to talk with Nationwide's uh, representative Laramie Sandquist uh, later in the show. Coming up in segment three today, we're going to get a geopolitical update. We'll talk with author and geopolitical strategist John Halsman. In segment two today, a conversation with the president of the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation, Eric Mayberry. He will join us coming up here in just a little bit. I should say as well, uh, Thursday, National Farmers Day, Thursday, October 12th. So a tip of the cap to all of our farmers across the country who are working hard each and every day to keep us keep us fed, keep us fueled, and uh, we do appreciate everything they do. So a happy National Farmers Day on Thursday, October 12th. All right, kicking off the program, let's take a look at the market trade. A lot of interesting things going on this week. We're joined now by Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, great to have you back on AOA. Hope you're doing well. Appreciate you having me back on, Jesse. Well, let's uh, dive into some of these interesting things. And I know we're talking ahead of the release of the October WASD report. That'll be out Thursday. Uh, but uh, before we talk about that, I want to dive into this crude oil market a little bit and, and how it ties in with what's going on in the Middle East. I know that's been something that a lot of folks have been watching uh, here this week, and you've really been uh, doing some work on this, looking analytically at this crude oil market and trying to compare it to uh, past years as we look back at history. So talk a little bit about what you're finding in your analysis here this week. Yeah, there's a couple, three things that really put us in a similar analog time period as the 70s and early 80s. And, and first and foremost is this most recent development with this horrific attack and, and damage inflicted on human life by Hamas and, and Lebanon and Israel now back at it. And whether you're talking about 1970s or early 1980s, there have been other times when we've brewed up something like this in history and we just can't seem to learn our lesson. And as a result of that, the oil market becomes much more centric to the commodity markets. And so both of those time periods, early 70s, early 80s, had inflation upwards of a CPI of 12 to 14 percent, whether you're looking at 1974 or 1980. And I think in 1983, we were on our way down, but still at around eight, nine percent in terms of inflation. We got the CPI data out today and overall number matched the food number of plus 3.7. Well, with the interest rates we're dealing with, that also is a very similar uh, situation with the outside markets, with the macro fundamentals of extremely high inflation. In fact, in 82, 83, President Reagan had brought back in to the Fed, um, you know, kind of the giant slayer of interest rates, uh, Paul Volcker, and uh, was really working hard at killing those uh, those rates out. And, and so high interest rates, high inflation, 
uh, coming up on a presidential election, 73, 74, um, similarities. And that's where I think the crude oil market is undervalued right now, simply put, if my expectations are met, that this damage inflicted by Hamas and this horror that they've done to the Israeli uh, people um, suggests a very strong reprisal by Israel militarily. That I think is coming, and I think that could be matched with this uh, pain inflicted by Hamas. That suggests to me that you know a thirty, forty dollar rally in the crude oil market would not be a surprise at all. Well, and to that point, Mike, we saw crude oil here just a, a week or two ago was up near lofty levels. A lot of uh, analysts were calling for one hundred fifty dollar a barrel crude, and then crude kind of fell apart and got back down around the eighty handle. And then with everything breaking out here this past weekend in the Middle East, we saw a bit of an uptick. So to your point, if crude were to see a big rally here again, would that be supportive to the grain market or not? What do you think? Yeah, I think it would, especially if the dollar would start to go down. You know, the biggest negative factor in the grains right now, other than the USDA and the Federal Reserve monetary policy, is the fact that we have a very strong relationship between the two-year bond yields and the grain prices. And, and it's a very strong negative relationship. So if we would come into this market and crude oil would go higher, the Fed would recognize a recession as almost a guarantee at that point, and they would start to neutralize and put on the pause button, then the dollar may break. And if we have higher crude, lower dollar, that's a pretty strong indication that commodity buying could be something the index funds want to jump back into. Well, I know in the case of the corn market especially, it feels like the grains are looking for some sort of fresh news, good or bad at this point here, Mike. It's, especially with corn, we've been churning around this 480, 485 level for weeks now and, and heading into a key USDA report. It just feels like these uh, grain markets are looking for something to uh, feed us, whether it be up or down. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think the market in the futures is pretty fairly priced with the trade es es estimates from, from the news wires. And we've essentially moved down about 10 cents a bushel in corn and about a dollar a bushel in the soybeans. So we have corrected the beans, uh, you know, based upon yield expectations. And then we do have, uh, while we have a lower yield expectation slightly in the trade estimates, the trade's also looking for a 13 million bushel increase in ending stock. So that says maybe the demand has softened up as well. So beans have probably rightfully gone lower this month to correct with the wheat and the corn. Uh, my price model would say you're pricing in about a 2.1, 2.2 billion bushel corn carryover at 485 futures and about a 225, 230 million bushel bean carryover at 1250 beans. So this is, I think, the dynamic heading into the report. Do we get that higher crude, lower dollar, and then essentially a neutral USDA report, if not a bullish USDA report on wheat because of Australia, Argentina, and Europe. And the, and the likelihood, in my opinion, we could see another reduced crop supply production in the world wheat number today. Mike, I want to wrap it up with the livestock trade as you look over at cattle. Uh, anything you're seeing there this week that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, the biggest thing is, okay, we've got the cash market jumping a little bit to that 183 plus area, but the bigger issue is the corn and the feeders that we've started to see that correction in the long feeder, short corn mindset. 
the monthly low today or this month, I should say, is 245.70, Jesse. The 2014 high was 245.20. So 245 is kind of a rock solid support we got to stay above. Otherwise, I think the funds may want to go ahead and liquidate more. And feeders, I think, could then go ahead and pull the cattle down, especially if that crude oil market jumps and we start thinking recession is coming. Well, I know the cash trade, too, uh, trying to make something happen here this week. We'll see what happens uh, over in feedlot country, too. Mike, I know folks uh, have questions, want to reach out to you uh, for uh, some, get some questions answered, take a look at your analysis. They could do that easily. Where can they find you online? Yeah, in fact, there's a two-week trial, and you just answer three uh, questions and, and uh, get a two-week free trial at globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two Ms, research.com. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Have a great one. Thank you, Jesse. You too. All right. Coming up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk with Eric Mayberry, the president of the Tennessee Farm Bureau. That's next on AOA. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America here today. Jesse Allen with you in our program today. Brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart, everyday products powered locally by your nearest Cenex location. You can find that nearest location online, Cenex.com. Well, right now, uh, pleased to have with us the president of the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation, Eric Mayberry, is with us. Eric, great to have a conversation with you here today on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Uh, very well here in Tennessee. Great for the opportunity, Jesse. Uh, appreciate the opportunity very much. Well, let's dive in and uh, and talk a little bit. And I think just to start, uh, harvest obviously uh, in full swing in Tennessee. How are things going on your farm? And what are you hearing around the state as far as uh, fall harvest is going? Yeah, yeah, but we're probably halfway at this point, maybe in the big round numbers. Uh, corn harvest moving along, a few people cutting beans. Uh, I think the soybean crop's going to be really good from one end of the state to the other. Uh, corn yields are somewhat more variable. We had a little dry spell back in uh, back in the early part of the growing season in West Tennessee, and so that kind of took the top edge off of the corn. But uh, they did get rains eventually, and it made a pretty good recovery. And a little bit disappointing from what they had expected when they planted the seed, but. Uh, from what it looked like a month after that, it, uh, it, it made a good recovery, and I think most people are fairly fairly pleased with what they're getting under the circumstances, and it's uh, so far so good in harvest in Tennessee. Any, uh, I know, uh, your farm or any of your neighbors or anything you heard across the state um, with disease, pest pressure this year, was there any anything major that impacted crops uh, in Tennessee outside of the weather? Not as much as some years. We've had, uh, most of us have adapted, you know, fungicides on, on our crops. A lot of us have, especially where they're more susceptible to that, river bottoms and in different parts of the state. But there, there's always a certain amount of pressure, and uh, sometimes you really don't know the effects of things till mm-hmm. till it's all said and done. But uh, no major, major type issues. Uh, I think that dry spell early uh, was probably the biggest thing. But uh, overall, if the further east in the states you go, uh, you know, the, the Crop yields are great. It's uh, been one of the best hay years in the state of Tennessee, I'd say, as a whole uh, in a long, long time. It's just been uh, just tremendous amount of moisture in most places, and and uh, got a got a surplus of hay. I would say at this point, going into the going into the fall and the winter. Well, let's talk as well. Um, I know on your farm and and others around the state, there's uh, and really around the country, there's a great push for sustainability efforts. Is there anything going on? Uh, around the state right now that you you would care to share or anything that maybe uh tennessee farm bureau is involved in at all as far as sustainability on the farm yeah we we it's on our radar screen has been for years we're uh 
you know, right now we're working with the state uh, just just to preserve farmland in general. That seems like to be a, a hot topic here. Just uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks moving into Tennessee from uh, areas all across the country, and we're we're gaining in population, and they need more houses and more schools and wider roads, and so it's just taking a little bit of a toll on uh, just that economic. And, and and industrial and manufacturing growth that we're seeing we're losing some farmland but uh, we're, we're partnering and talking with a lot of other conservation groups and state government to, to find ways to to help people stay on the farm help stay profitable and uh, it's just kind of a kind of a, a starting point really but uh, not a lot of specifics at this point but uh, mm-hmm. definitely on a, a lot of people's minds and and i think I think the the more we talk about it, the more people realize that we need good productive farmland to to sustain our society, and it's it's encouraging to see these folks that that uh, in in the past we maybe not not the best of friends, and now we're the best of friends. So it's it's it is encouraging, and hopefully, I think we're moving in the right direction. It's always great how agriculture can uh, bring folks together. I think Eric, that's for sure. Well, uh, thinking about that and, and maybe shifting gears a little bit here, talking more policy, government-related stuff. Uh, l- let's just stay in the state of Tennessee. Any state-related legislation impacting agriculture here this year? Anything that Farm Bureau's keeping an eye on right now? Could you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, with 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 urban growth, like I say, the farmland. Uh, issue is just just trying to figure out ways to to keep farmers on the farm uh, uh, incentivize them do some maybe some pace programs and stuff i think feel like that we're probably if you compare us to some other states around the nation we're a little bit behind in that effort but uh, you know our governor's reached out and he's uh, very interested in in doing some things he recognizes the the pressure that it's putting on putting on our our farms and uh and of course, you know, here again, the farm bill, you know, that, that's a huge thing that we, we, uh, was in Washington DC, uh, recently. And it, uh, you know, it's somewhat of a dysfunctional situation up there, which is very disappointing because we, we need a farm bill to, to have clarity and, and, uh, stability on our farms. And it's not, uh, not happening right now, but we remain hopeful. We're, we still stand as a, as a resource for, those congressmen and and all those legislators that that need guidance in that regard, we're uh, we're 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 ready when they are. So maybe they'll get their act together and and at some point be able to get get to move on the on a good uh, good clear farm bill. And I know I just had a conversation with House Ag uh, Chairman Glenn G T Thompson for Pennsylvania, and he sounds a little frustrated uh, because he he feels like they're ready to get this farm bill going, but obviously we've had. Plenty of turmoil uh, in D.C. here in the last couple of weeks. Now, uh, with the Farm Bill itself, you mentioned a few things there. Uh, what are some of the things that Tennessee Farm Bureau wants to make sure are, are protected in the Farm Bill? Is it crop insurance? Is it updating reference prices for commodities? Uh, what are what are some of the things that uh, you would say are, are the most important and the number one, two, three things uh, in the Farm Bill? Yeah, I think I think consistently when you talk to our producers across the state that uh, protecting the crop insurance component of it, that's, uh, you know, most farmers, they, they want to be able to go out and produce and, and farm for the market and farm for a profit. But, uh, you know, Mother Nature sometimes gets in their way. So just having a good, functional, uh, well-funded crop insurance program that, uh, that will keep us on the farm, I think that's always number one. Uh, you know, we, we see that the future is very bright in agriculture, but, but we also need research and development of new products and, and things like that. So we always are encouraging our legislatures to, 
to, to look at look at funding research, the component of it. A lot of people don't talk about that, but it's uh, we feel like it's it's very good, and and they just uh, just uh, and we'd like to see more about the livestock. You know, livestock in Tennessee is a is a big thing. We've our dairy uh, producers have took a hit in recent years, and they're 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 on the decline. And so anything we can do to help be mindful of our livestock industry across the state and and how it might fit in. Uh, that that's always a, a priority as ours of ours as well. Well, I know too. Um, some folks may not know this, but the Tennessee Farm Bureau is uh, the largest uh, in the country. As your role as president, uh, how do you manage uh, such a, a large and diverse uh, organization uh, the way you do? Could you talk about that a little bit, Eric? Sure, it, it's a, it's a privilege to serve. That's that's uh, no doubt about that. But it all starts with our county level folks. I mean, we've got 95 counties in the state of Tennessee, and each and every one of them has got a farm bureau and and uh, local board of directors, and and it's just a uh, you know those volunteer leaders. That grassroots level is where where our base and where our strength starts from, and uh, we we take our guidance and and our orders from those folks, and we and they're very good about telling us what they need you know at the farm level uh, and we we go from there and we've got a great staff uh, the home office is in columbia tennessee and and they uh we've got great field staff that keep us connected to that and and then we've got great partnerships with our our service companies we've got a uh a property and casualty and life insurance company and we've got a healthcare company and it's a it's just a big operation and that that's what we uh you know, I think that's the tribute 102 years worth of success to, and then still remain as the largest farm bureau in the nation. There's some there's some really good ones out there, but we you know, we we've got a rich history and and nobody wants uh, wants to see a decline uh, while they're while they're involved in it. So it that inspires people to, to continue to work hard and, and like I say, our volunteer leaders are just incredible. Uh, they, they they realize the importance of the Farm Bureau and, and the agriculture industry as a whole and they're 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 always gonna be caught trying to do what they can to to make the world a little bit better place to live and they, they do a great job at it. Well, we do uh, appreciate the time with you here today, and I know folks can learn more about uh, all the great things going on with the Tennessee Farm Bureau very easily online, tnfarmbureau.org, tnfarmbureau.org. Eric, uh, real quick, before we let you go, we've covered a wide range of topics. Anything else uh, on your mind, anything else you would add here for folks who are listening into AOA today? Well, just always remember that uh, if you eat, you're involved in agriculture, and uh, and it is the oldest profession in the in the world. And that uh, we've got a lot of passionate folks out there on the farms across this state and across this nation, and uh, very dedicated. Uh, so always keep them in mind when you're making decisions uh, about about things, because it uh, sometimes affects us in a negative way. And just be mindful of that, and, and know we've got your back when it comes to food production. That's what we live for, and appreciate the opportunity to the visit Jesse. Well, we appreciate you joining us with that. Tennessee Farm Bureau President Eric Mayberry. Eric, thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. Up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk with John Holzman on the way right after this. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help, then we have good news for you. 
Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect and may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. Grains and oil seeds are mixed to lower ahead of today's WASDE report that will be out at 11 a.m. Central Time. Livestock is also mixed. Fats and feeders are slightly higher, while hogs are slightly lower. Now, today's USDA WASDE crop report will set the tone for the grain and oil seed markets for much of the remainder of the calendar year. The corn and soybean yield estimates will be particularly watched. This is a case where matching the pre-report trade estimates might be considered bearish if the trade sees the South American crop on pace for good yields. However, any potential changes in U.S. export targets will also set the tone with the lineup of corn and soybean cargoes for loading remaining disappointing, especially at Gulf ports due to low water levels on the Panama Canal. USDA may choose to wait until November to make those changes, but they are likely coming. China updated its crop report today, raising this year's corn crop to 288.2 million metric tons. That's up 11 million metric tons from USDA's latest estimate, with local estimates tend to be another 4 to 9 million metric tons higher yet. That would reduce the need for significant imports this year. Now for pork, they'll be incorporating the fresh hogs and pigs inventory data released a couple weeks ago with today's WASDE report. Larger pigs per litter count should result in an increased 2024 pork production estimate. Most analysts are now projecting the 2024 pork production up about 1% next year. Also, the minutes of the September Fed meeting were released yesterday afternoon, reflecting a shift in sentiment. A growing number of policymakers are concerned about the uncertainties of the economy and rising commodity prices, while still supporting at least one more rate hike at the latest meeting. Fed fund futures trading increased the odds of another rate hike by January to 41%. That's up from 27% yesterday, and that's based on this morning's inflation and jobs data. The dollar index is firming up this morning, while crude oil prices are just over 1% higher currently. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And thanks for staying with us here on AOA today. Agriculture of America brought to you by Cedex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find your nearest Cedex location online very easily by going to Cedex.com. Well, right now here on the program, we want to focus on what is happening around the world. There is a lot of turmoil of course, we've seen the uh, outbreak of war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. And here to provide us an update is Dr. John Halsman, author, geopolitical strategist, and by the way, his new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. So do check that out. And uh, John, we appreciate the time with us here once again on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. It's always good to talk, Jesse. Well, let's dive in. And for starters, as I mentioned, war breaking out in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. And I would just uh, love to get your perspective on the situation. Obviously, there's a there's a, a lot of uh, sadness with the situation coming out of uh, the Middle East there. But what is the latest you're hearing? Can you give us uh, your perspective on, on how things have been unfolding? Well, I mean... The immediate thing, as you say, is it's horrendous. I'm rarely shocked. I do this for a living and have for a long time now. And you you have to separate your head from your heart when you do analysis. But it has been shocking and that Hamas has behaved as ISIS did in the Middle East. The barbarism is off the charts. Uh, let's just say that. And you have to leave that at a side and say, what in the heck's going on here? And what's happening is that Hamas and its sponsor, its paymaster, Iran, we're about to lose out because there was a big deal being formed between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which we're going to recognize each other, really relegate the Palestinian issue to a secondary issue and move forward together. Well, Hamas hates that because it doesn't want the Palestinian issue to be relegated. And Iran hates that because the basic rule in the Middle East is when your two enemies get together, you're in trouble. And so Hamas did this counting on Israel being forced to go into Gaza as they will in the next couple days. The Arab street will rise up in indignation and there's no way then the Saudis can do this deal. So in a horrendous, wicked, diabolical way, in the immediate term, they will be successful in that strategy. Well, John, there's been a lot of talk and conjecture and folks trying to get answers that uh, Iran could have been behind the Hamas attacks. And I know there's still... A lot of folks that are trying to figure that out and get a final answer there, but one has to wonder if they are in fact behind that, could it lead to a wider scale conflict in the Middle East? Part of the problem in saying behind it is that not all the groups in the Middle East behave the same way. There are two big terrorist groups around Israel. To the north in Lebanon is Hezbollah. They're a Shia group, meaning they have the same religious persuasion as the Iranians, and they are in lockstep, that, that Iran funds Hezbollah to a much greater extent than Hamas, and Hamas uh, and Hezbollah pretty much does what Iran says. Hamas are Sunni. They don't always agree with Iran. They didn't agree, for instance, over the Syrian civil war. And it works more like a grant organization. They have common enemies in the United States, the West, and Israel. And so Hamas says, here's a grant we want to do. And Iran may or may not fund it. But that doesn't mean that Iran is involved in the planning in nearly the same way they are in Hezbollah. So are they the paymaster? Certainly they are. Are they directly knowledgeable about everything that went on? That's a lot more murky an issue. And anybody who tells you they know that, they're lying to you. 
I, mm -hmm. I follow this every day. It is not clear at all. How the war will widen, I think, is that probably Hezbollah and the, in Lebanon and Syria will be dragged in in some minor way at least. The main action will be in the south in Gaza, but I'd be very surprised if it went beyond that. Nobody wants a larger war with Iran. And so I think that's kind of where the United States and the Biden administration are drawing the line, uh, warning the Iranians to stay out of this. Uh, I think that really the focus in the next few days and weeks even is going to be over the Israelis marching in and trying to occupy Gaza, which is an incredibly densely populated area. It will be street to street fighting to try to eradicate Gaza. One way to think about it is going into a bee's nest and it will be bloody and nasty and really something to see. And, and it's it's horrendous in that regard. It definitely is horrendous. And, and John, you mentioned uh, you know, some of the U.S. Uh, response to what's going on and some of the, the Western countries' response so far. I know China has been largely quiet on what's going on, and we yes. know they've been trying to exert their influence in the Middle East more. What's your take on China's non-response for the most part so far? I mean, this is the problem with China's policy overall, which is that we'll never take sides with anyone over anything. We just want to have a mercantilist policy where we just trade and we don't have an army. We don't have any strategic uh, skin in the game. Well, that's fine when the skies are nice, but when it starts raining, you're awfully get glad you have an umbrella. And the United States strategic involvement in the Middle East is that umbrella in that the United States is involved in immediately iron, the Iron Dome, any missile site the Israelis had, the United States immediately resupplied the Israelis. The United States shares intelligence with Israel, with Egypt, with a number of the Gulf states. And so when times are good, you can run the China policy. When times are bad, you see the limits. And by not taking a stand, all China is succeeding in doing is alienating everyone. Hamas wonders, why aren't you on our side? And Israel thinks, for goodness sake. We're doing more with you, and now when we really need you, you're not there. And so I think we're really running into the limits of China's policy right now. We're having a conversation today with geopolitical strategist and author Dr. John Halsman. His new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, that's available right now for pre-order on Amazon. And John, with the situation in the Middle East, you combine that with the ongoing turmoil between Russia and Ukraine, there's just a lot going on around the world that is having an impact on on markets and trade flows and the global economy and of course human life there's there's a lot going on right now isn't there there is and and i mean you even have to think further afield while the united states and you know i'm not an enthusiastic supporter of writing ukraine a blank check I'm a realist, and the, all realists would say we should save our resources for only first-order priorities because you're never going to know when things change. This is a prime example that we've spent $120 billion supporting Ukraine, giving them a blank check, and Ukraine is at best a third-order priority. Israel, as a major ally, is a first-order priority, and we don't have all the wherewithal in terms of munitions that we'd like because we've been giving it to Ukraine at the same time, the Chinese are looking at Taiwan and wondering just how many crises is America planning to send munitions to when what we really care about is the Indo-Pacific in the future, where most of the world's economic growth will come from ahead and also much of the world's political risk. And so the problem is that if you fritter away these things on second and third order priorities, you may not have what you need when it starts to rain. And I think that's really a pressure point 
for the administration as it has to prioritize now the crises that, are, that confront the United States and, yeah, indeed, the world. And, John, I think, too, uh, something to go along with all of this, the backdrop here with what's going on in the U.S. and some folks wondering if we can effectively govern ourselves anymore with the turmoil in the House of Representatives and, and much more. So we have some things going on here at home that are concerning and, and really uh, one has to wonder what countries around the world think of what's going on. I mentioned this, Jesse, in The Last Best Hope, that, that one of the things, there's a chapter I wrote about Eisenhower, and I love the book because it's upbeat. It looks at realists in America who broadly got things right. And one of the things that Eisenhower said is that, you know, the whole point of having a foreign policy is to facilitate the domestic union, that what matters is an American foreign policy for Americans that suits American interests. And part of that is helping the government work effectively, not at each other's throats, but in a way that suits the needs of our people so that we can trade, so that we can be prosperous, and so that from a position of strength, we can live in a more peaceable place. And I think we forget, I worked in DC for a lot of years, and I think that gets forgotten a lot. Um, and I, I come from Ohio, and, and I'm lucky in that I don't, I don't see American soldiers and American interests as pieces on a risk board. These are real people with families and hopes and dreams and people in the country who want to trade and make a good living. That's who we work for. And I think that is too easily lost. And one of my favorite chapters in the book is Ike reminding us of that. And what a great thing that a general reminds us of the limits of military power. Yeah, John, there's uh, there's a lot to take in there and uh, great points you make. Before we run out of time here today, we got a, a little over a minute. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot going on. What's your final thoughts uh, for us here today as we examine uh, just the what's happening around the world? I think we have to be very clear and make our leaders be clear about what their priorities are. Anybody who tells you two extremes should be ignored. If they say we can do nothing in the world, that is insanely defeatist. That should be ignored. If they say we can do everything in the world, we've seen that what happens in Iraq, Afghanistan, when we try to bite off more than we can chew. Look for leaders who differentiate what's vital, what's important, and what would be nice on a good Tuesday. Well, again, you can find Dr. Halsman's new book available for pre-order right now on Amazon, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism. Again, you can find it for pre-order right now. We've been talking with Dr. John Halsman here today on Agriculture of America. Dr. Halsman, always uh, appreciate a conversation with you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to it, Jesse. You take care. And great stuff there with Dr. John Halsman joining us here today on AOA. All right, coming up here next on the program, before we wrap it up today, it is National Fire Prevention Month and also National Fire Prevention Week. And we're going to talk about some of the dangers uh, on and around the farm when it comes to fire danger. We will talk with nationwide risk management leader for nationwide agribusiness, Laramie Sandquist. He'll join us next as we're back with more here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll be back with more right after this. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. 
This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From the farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. 
Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whatever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look, listen, live. For more info, go to oli.org. information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Agriculture of America here today, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. And joining us now here on the program as we talk during National Fire Prevention Week, and of course October is Fire Prevention Month, we are joined today by Laramie Sandquist, risk management leader for Nationwide Agribusiness. And Laramie, thanks for joining us on the program today. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this week is National Fire Prevention Week and then October, of course, Fire Prevention Month. And, you know, I think about uh, during spring planting and fall harvest, those are very busy times of year. And a lot of times we're on the farm, we can have a lot of uh, a lot of fire risks and you know i've seen a lot of pictures on social media here the last few weeks of combines and tractors uh unfortunately going up in flames it just uh goes to show that this could be a, a dangerous time of year for fires on and around the farm yeah no doubt we uh we try to make a increased emphasis this time of year obviously we got a lot, a lot more people out in the fields we got a lot more people working uh you know on the farm side itself you got some uh <clears throat> some other uh things going on, it's you're, you're in full production, right? And so mm -hmm. during this time of year, we just like to take a step back and, and just remind folks that we know you got to be out there. We know it's long hours. We know that folks are running hard, but uh, some, some simple steps that you can take to prevent that risk and, uh, and hopefully keep you going strong. Because that's really what we try to do here at Nationwide is we're, we're a protection company first and foremost. And anything that we can get out to folks to keep them as efficient and effective as possible in getting their job done, that's what we're here to support. Very, very true. Well, before we talk about some of those tips, I just looking at the numbers, I know it's a bit staggering. What is it, over $100 million in losses each year to farm fires and, and other, you know, fire damages around the farm? Is that number, is that accurate? Because that's staggering. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? The, yeah, over $100 million in, in losses wow. from, far, from fire across just in the ag space, right, across the, uh, across the country. And you look at it and people think, uh, you know, it's the usual suspects, right? You got some property stuff, you've got some uh, mobile equipment, things like that. But people don't realize that one in five of these losses are electrical related. <clears throat> so as you look around the, you know, the job site, you look around the, you know, the barns and the facilities and things like that, we're seeing a lot from temporary wiring, whether that be extension cords, whether that be power strips. And a lot of times you're just not thinking through that. You're like, okay, I got I to gotta get this temporary wiring here or I got to get this thing hooked up and, and you don't even think about it. And then it's, it sits there and, and it pulls, uh, pulls electric, electrical charge the entire time. And, uh, and 
unfortunately turns into something very, very hazardous. So one in five being just electrical, that uh, that is staggering to me. Well, and I have to think that uh, to your points there about some of those uh, temporary you know, type situations, power strips, et cetera. I just have to think that that's maybe one piece of a, a prevention plan. Talk about some tips for folks to think about that, you know, can help them prevent fires uh, around the operation. Yeah, no doubt. I look at it as kind of a three-step process. First, you got prevention, then you got detection, then you got suppression. And hopefully you never have to get to that suppression part. But uh, through the prevention part, that's obviously looking around your facility, looking around your property and seeing what are my hazards here. It's doing those uh, walk-through checklists, which, which we have available for the farm and for some commercial agribusiness uh, type risks that are out there. It means really going through that fire safety prep. Actually, here in the office this morning at 10 o'clock, we had an evacuation that we were all, uh, you know, they turned all the alarms on and I was like, like, oh goodness, I'm glad they did this now and not during this interview. But uh, everyone had to go out. You had your fire extinguishing, you know, your path that you were going out and getting out of the building and things like that. So it's that approach. You see that in the schools. Obviously, you see that in the buildings. But there's no, uh, <clears throat> there should be no difference out on the farm, right? But then the detection piece, you know, it's looking at the sensors. It's looking at uh, how are we monitoring things. So I talked about electrical, right? We have uh, we have some different partnerships with some electrical. <clears throat> Uh, monitoring companies, PrevTech being one of them that we work with. We've got hay monitoring detection uh, uh, partners that we're working with. We also use thermal imaging cameras to be able to detect this stuff on the front end and hopefully be a lot more proactive in these situations and allow folks to see what's going on there and make smart decisions on on how they're using their tools and uh, the resources that they have there. And then, of course, the last part being the suppression piece. Obviously, with, that comes in with uh, extinguishing agent but we also have some temporary uh, e-fireballs that uh, we've rolled out in the last couple of years that mm -hmm. they can um, mount on some mobile equipment. So that would be in areas where they know that there's a, an increased uh, potential of having a fire. Obviously it's having your fire extinguishing equipment up to, up to date and, and uh, checked and then having it with you at all times when, whether you're mobile or whether you're at the, you know, at the farm site itself. So three-step process, prevention, detection, and then uh, suppression. Well, and not just, you know, the usual suspects around the farm, too, but I have to think, you know, our, our livestock producers and ranchers, whether we're looking in those those hog buildings or in the in the barn or as well, too, I, I think about our elevators, our, our grain elevator staff here during a busy time of year. I mean, it's there's a lot of segments throughout agriculture that need to pay attention, isn't there? No doubt. You know, we look at confinement operations as a, as a big user right now, the electrical monitoring. <clears throat> They're using that uh uh, very uh, frequently there, you look at the dust hazard exposure that you get in the elevators uh, and places like that. So there's a, there's a different route, a uh, different strategy that we have for the different exposures that are out there. But the biggest piece is being on top of it, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. paying attention to what's there and having the right tools to monitor and detect what's going on there and staying ahead of it. So that's where we're using our, <clears throat> that's where we're, you know, using our innovation uh, spend right now is really trying to find those partners who can help folks on the front end to uh, kind of engineer this risk out of the equation to start with. Well, of course, uh, if people have questions, I know you mentioned you guys have certain resources available. I'm sure they could find that on the nationwide website or, you know, uh, if uh, something were to happen, of course, I know they could talk with a nationwide representative if they have to look at uh, their policies or a claim or, or whatever the case may be. But you guys have a lot of resources available, don't you, Laramie? 
No doubt. We've got the Nationwide Ag Insight Center. So if you go to aginsight.center.com or nationwide.com, you'll be able to get there. We have myinsightonline.com as well that has tools, resources, and materials. But of course, our independent agents that we work through <clears throat> across the country are a great resource, not only getting uh, the right products and services that they need, but also selling these risk management solutions and, and staying on top of what the risk truly is out there. Those agents are, are truly a partner for us in getting this message out and really sharing um, the best practices for our customers across the country. We appreciate the time. Risk Management Leader for Nationwide Agribusiness, Laramie Sanquist. Thanks for joining us here on the program today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. We're out of time here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesels and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.